Hey, Mason, I think it's time to talk about the top 10 mistakes every photographer makes. Wow, seriously? Can't we find something more <laughs> clickbaity? Uh, all right. I, how about we talk about why what we're doing is game changing? Oh, God, I'm so sick and tired of everything being a game changer. I'm numb from all the hyperbole. You know what? I also love saying hyperbole. Hyperbole is a great word. I love that too. How about we just do something more practical this time? Exactly. Let's share the things that we know now that we wish we knew back then. That sounds like a game changer. Let's photocombobulate this. Oh, God. Bring the music. There are so many little tricks that experienced photographers know. These are the pro tips and hacks that we use to make things better. It's time to get practical. It's time to photocombobulate. I'm Jeff Carlson. And I'm Mason Marsh. So when you proposed this idea, I wasn't quite sure what you were going for because there are all sorts of things that we do. There's all sorts of things that we just sort of internalize. And when we started making these lists, I realized, oh, yeah, I do that. And I thought about that. But it's something that you get to a point where you're like, well, of course, everybody knows this. And the reality is, of course, not everybody knows this. And so these are like really helpful things that I think have aided us in like tiny, substantial ways for years. Yeah, it's, it's stuff that's common sense, but how does it become common? These are things that we've accumulated through experience, through trial and error, through breaking things. <laughs> and a lot of these tips that, that we're going to share today are things that I learned from other photographers just maybe standing next to them. And they're like, what did you just do? How did, why did you do it that way? And they're like, well, it makes it so much easier when you do it this way. It's like, God, I never thought of that. So these yeah. are the, all the, oh, wow, I never thought of that. Ideas and tips that really everybody needs to know. It does help make photography more fun. It helps make photography easier. It makes our photos better. And we don't need to keep these things secret, right? And I want to say, <laughs> Jeff, you know, our introduction was a lot of fun, but none of these are game changers. No, no. And... <laughs> That's good. I mean, all the YouTube videos and everybody has to be the most game changing, whatever, whatever. It's a little bit tiring. But I think what it appeals to me is when I first started getting into photography, I felt like I was a sponge. Like I wanted to know all the new tips and tricks and I wanted to figure out the difference between RAW and JPEG. And a lot of that has kind of gone by the wayside as I've figured out what to hold on to, what to throw away, what not to keep in mind. Hopefully, as you're listening to this, you're going to have that same sense of, all right, show me what you've learned. That's the goal here. Yeah, I want you to think of these as, you know, you're looking over our shoulders while we're working or we're hanging out together, right? On a workshop or out in the field somewhere. And these are just, they're just tips. They're just little bits of information that techniques and, and hacks, if you will. I love the term hacks because it makes it sound like the way we're doing it is a little different than maybe the way it was intended to be done. And mm -hmm. a, a lot of these tips work because they are unconventional, if you will, or maybe a little bit out of left field sometimes. So <laughs> I, I think that photography is a, an area where everybody sort of thinks that it's 
pat and cut and dried. And a lot of our, fo- our, our podcast is about making things simpler, making things easier to understand. And I think these tips are that in practice, right? Yeah. Things in the capture pro- process and in the processing process of making photographs <laughs> that just make sense, but aren't in the manual. Yeah. And uh, I will also say, uh, looking at the list that we've come up with, I think these are things that are not necessarily super obvious. We're trying to avoid you know, the real basic things like if you want to get closer to something, move your feet and, you know, so like some of that, that tried and true wisdom. So where should we start? Do you want to jump in? Yeah, I want to start with the kind of a really important set of tips. Maybe these are game changers. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. Here we go. Neither one of us can say the word game changer anymore <laughs> for this podcast. <laughs> Otherwise we'll just like, like, We're, nope, sorry. We've worn it. I say that to my kids all the time. You've worn that one out. Now you got to worn that sensors. one out. All right. Let's, let's talk about camera sensors. You know, these computer chips that are inside of our cameras that read the light that comes through the lens, really delicate. A lot of people are really afraid of them getting damaged because when your sensor gets damaged, you kind of throw the camera away. <laughs> so one of the tips that I want to share is how do we keep our sensors clean? Because cleaning a sensor is stressful. And so yeah. uh, some of the things we can do to sort of mitigate the dust that gets on our sensors. And I think the one of the things I would say that wasn't obvious to me, I'm embarrassed to say how long I went without knowing this, but if you turn your camera off before you take the lens off to change lenses, uh, it decharges the sensor and it's got less static charge and less um, it, it's less attractive to dust. Dust doesn't stick to it. So yeah. turn that camera off, then you can take the lens off, swap lenses, and you're going to have a lot less chance of of dust finding its way onto that sensor and, and hanging out there. That sounds eminently commonsensical. And yet I can't tell you how many times I've switched a lens and realized that I had forgotten to turn it off because I'm, you know, in my haste, I was like, oh, I need to change lenses because I've got the wrong focal length for this this scene. No. And then I look down, I'm like, oh, stupid thing's on again. So. Yeah. Well, and some of the newer cameras, well, even when you turn them off, they'll close the shutter. They'll close the shutter to shield the uh, mm. the sensor, which is awesome. So I think that this becomes even more important in those cases because there's not a button to push to make that happen. So yeah. by powering the, the camera off, it, it triggers that shutter down. The other one is you know just keeping the camera pointed down when that lens is off. So if you're swapping lenses, especially if you're outdoors in, a, in a, any kind of a dusty environment, having that period of time where that sensor is open to the environment, you know, keeping it as short as possible, but keeping the camera pointed down so anything that might drift in doesn't fall and settle onto the sensor. It's it's just a little thing you can do that makes it makes it a little bit cleaner. It's like gravity works or something. Yeah. <laughs> that and and also don't don't just take your lens off and blow in to clean your sensor. Never, never, don't. never, 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 never. Yeah, your mouth is not a good blower for. For any of this stuff. One other thing I would say is, is that cameras pointed down. I remember we said to turn your camera off. <laughs> mm-hmm. A lot of cameras have a uh, setting where you can do a, an automatic cleaning mode where it vibrates. Yeah. If your camera has in-body image stabilization, IBIS, it oftentimes will have this little shake that it can do. It does a little and it shakes the sensor. And that's designed to knock larger particles off the sensor. So big big dust chunks. Make sure that camera's pointed down when you do that sh- that shake so that it the stuff that vibrates off actually gets a chance to leave. <laughs> yeah. 
The first thing that I thought of when I was thinking of tips was not 101 ways to set your exposure for et cetera, et cetera. It was this idea of object permanence. Mm, I love that. And this idea is know where your stuff is all the time. So for a very practical example, you probably have batteries mm -hmm. and spare batteries. And when I have things arranged in my bag, I make sure that there are charged batteries in one place and discharged batteries in the other so that I never have to accidentally pick up a battery that's empty. Same with memory cards. I have a little memory card holder and I have little pockets for my memory cards. But in addition to like the pockets at the bottom will be cards that I've filled and don't want to accidentally write over, I will put them in upside down so that I know at a glance what the status of this is. And it seems like, again, it seems like a common sense thing, but how many times have you reached and, and grabbed a battery that is not charged up? Right. And then you swear and because at least for me, maybe this is all <laughs> these are all going to be based on on mistakes Jeff has made. Uh, but you get to the end of a battery and it never happens when it's the most convenient. It never happens when you're traveling between locations. You're in the middle of a of a shot and you need to be quick. And so you, you hurry. So object permanence, know where your stuff is so that you don't have to think about it. The battery one is really, that's a really good tip, Jeff, because our camera bags oftentimes have thousands of pockets, lots of organization yeah. built into these bags. And if you just have your batteries just jumbled into a pocket in one spot and you reach in there, especially with our small mirrorless cameras, we go through a lot of batteries, maybe three, four, five of them a day sometimes. And so you got a bunch of them laying around. They all look the same. So how do you know they're charged? You can't lick them. <laughs> you, know, it's not like you can touch them to your tongue to see if they have electric charge. So I mean, you can lick them, but you help can. yourself. Yeah. But yeah. it doesn't doesn't help you figure out which ones are full. So one of the things that I used to do, Jeff, is I actually had a little bit of a little roll of gaffer's tape, and this is just something everybody every photographer should probably have a little roll of gaffer's tape. But Definitely. I would tear off about a one inch length of gaffer's tape, and I would tape over the contacts of my batteries when they were fully charged. So I take them off the charger, tape over that little metal contacts of the battery, and that was my tip that that battery is full. Now when it when it comes time to go put it in the camera, you peel that tape off. You put the battery in the camera, the, the battery that comes out of the camera, I would put the tape on the side of the battery, not over the contacts. So when I look in my bag, the batteries that have tape over the contacts are charged. The ones that have tape on the side are discharged. But if you have two separate pockets, having charged batteries in one pocket and dead batteries in the other pocket, mm -hmm. even better. Because then yeah. you don't have to mess with the tape, right? Let's make yeah. it simple. Yeah, but part of the, the impetus for this, uh, I interviewed photographer Brian Atch. Sorry, Brian, I, I got your name wrong uh, probably for the millionth time. Uh, Brian Atch, he's a an event photographer. He does red carpets in New York, Ooh, like wow. very, very high level. Uh, we'll put a link in the show notes to the article that I wrote. Um, and one of the things that he pointed out was when he is shooting, he always has specific pockets, you know, full camera cards are in the left, empty camera cards are in the right, because he is literally, you know, firing off hundreds and hundreds of shots of celebrities and there just isn't time. He, he's yeah. under the, the gun and the deadline. And so even though that's that's really at that high level of, of photo performance, it totally, totally applies to everybody. 
It does. So. And not everybody's like an event photographer that's on assignment working like that. But right. oftentimes we're under some sort of pressure and yeah. fumbling around looking for that battery and you're not sure where you left it or, <laughs> you know, whether or not it's charged is really embarrassing and it's frustrating and it takes your mind off the game. And I would say all of this, I almost said that word. I said, I said oh. game, but I didn't say the other part. <laughs> all of these things are things that help you keep focused on photography, which makes it more fun and more pleasurable. When you're distracted, right? We've talked about this with flow state, right? You get distracted. You're not going to be doing as well. So Absolutely. fumbling around for a battery is just a great way to kill the joy. <laughs> <laughs> when you're taking pictures of your family and they're giving you that look like, really? Yeah. Are you, can, can we actually do this? Or are you just going to keep messing around over there? Yeah. Yeah, everybody okay. wants to look like they're good at something, right? <laughs> uh, at least to pretend. All right, what's next? What what what's another one? Yeah, so we'll stick with memory cards. You mentioned memory cards. One of the things that isn't obvious, and it's I don't think it's in a manual anywhere. If if it is, I haven't seen it. It's that memory cards should be formatted in the camera that you're using them in. Now I have a couple of different cameras, and so if I take a memory card out of my wallet. I, and I put it in the camera, it may have been used in a different camera at some point. And so the first thing I'll do is I'll format it in that camera. Actually, the first thing I'll do is I'll hit play. So here's a great tip. I'm going to expand <laughs> this tip. I put a new card in there. Even if I, even if it comes out of my wallet and it's supposedly a clean, empty card, I put it in there, mm -hmm. I hit play. And if it's got images on it and I'll look at those images and be like, are these on my computer? <laughs> Is this a card I've already used? If it's empty or if it's stuff I can format, I'll go ahead and hit that format button, even if it's empty, because I don't want to have any risk of any kind of a fault uh, or an error that comes up because the uh, architecture of that card's memory has been set up by yeah. another camera or on a computer or something like that. So always format in the camera that you're using. And then when you uh, import your photos, you don't delete them off the card. You just put that card back in your camera and format it in there. Yeah. And, and also uh, use the format command for it. Don't just go and erase the images because yeah. that just marks them as having free space to write over. Yeah. And it's... It's just a better idea, especially with newer cameras that are writing larger files and need to write them faster. Uh, yeah, just format and start fresh. It's good. Yep. All right, Jeff, it's your turn. All right. So I'm going to give something that changed my photographic life. Oh, you almost said it. <laughs> <laughs> I almost got into my, my, my radio announcer voice. This changed my entire life. That's when everything changed. That's when everything changed. It was a – no, it wasn't. It wasn't. Here's the thing. Uh, and Actually, I credit you to this. I got an L bracket. Mm, yes. And you're like, ooh, wow, that sounds boring as heck. Do you mean but, what, like, a, like a loser's bracket? A loser bracket, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm always in the loser bracket, man. <laughs> Uh, what an L bracket is, if you're not familiar, it's just a piece of metal, nicely machined usually, that you attach to your camera. It stays on your camera. And what's nice about it is you have a Arca Swiss mount. Uh, it's designed to fit into an Arca Swiss plate. Mm -hmm. I always forget which part is the Arca and the, the Swiss. Anyway. <laughs> <sighs> and what does Switzerland have to do with any of this? What scenario? is Switzerland? This allows you to very quickly and easily put your camera on a tripod. Uh, 
Now, in the past, maybe you have like little mounting plates. Mm-hmm. And in the distant past, actually, it's probably not in the past, but in many situations, you would screw something on and maybe your camera, it like blocks your battery door. Blah, it's mm-hmm. terrible. So you have this thing that you can pop onto a tripod at a moment's notice. Now, the L part of it is that let's say you want to shoot in portrait orientation. All you have to do is take the camera off, turn it over, and the angle of the bracket on the short side is now also all ready to pop right into your tripod. Mm-hmm. So it is such a – oh, I almost said the word. Helpful. It's such a – well, <laughs> it's such a freeing experience to be able to just switch that way. You have – I don't even know if, if you have this image, but at one point when we were out shooting, I had this this old man Frodo tripod. <laughs> I know exactly that, what you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah <laughs> this tripod where you could basically take the column out and then – put it sideways Mm -hmm. so that you could then shoot in portrait orientation. And you took a picture of me and I was like mid conversion on this Mm -hmm. because I wanted to to get some, I think, close up photography somewhere. And it totally looked like I didn't know how to use a tripod or it had fallen apart. And it was just cumbersome and annoying and I hated it. And with an L bracket, you unclamp your, your bracket, you turn your camera over, you clamp it again, you're good to go. And there'll be times I will go back and forth, back and forth several times, depending on, on where I'm shooting. Yeah. So super, super helpful. And they also have like little mount points. Sometimes some of them, uh, if you need to attach something else or attach, uh, you know, little peak design tabs or whatever, an L bracket for me, it, it's the first thing I buy when I get a new camera. Yeah. In fact, I oftentimes will order the L bracket when I order a camera and the L bracket always comes first. And so I have this L bracket for a couple of weeks and I sit there <laughs> right. with it. I'm like, oh, it's so cool. The camera's going to be here. So here's the thing with the L bracket, Jeff. It obviously is intended to be a tripod mounting appliance, right? So yeah. you, you mentioned the Arca Swiss grooves that are in the side and the bottom that clamps, the, the Arca Swiss clamp grabs onto. The thing about the L bracket that I think is sort of an unsung attribute is that your camera is now armored on the two sides that are most likely to take a hit if you fall down while you're carrying your camera. So the L bracket, the part, the short part is on the opposite side of the camera from the grip. And so if you're holding in your hand and you trip and fall and you slam your camera on the ground, Nobody's ever done this, right? No, but if, you, no. if it happened to happen, theoretically, yeah, that strong aluminum L bracket is going to take that impact and disperse it instead of it, the plastic of your camera taking that. Unfortunately, on the, on our modern mirrorless cameras, that end of the camera is where all the little doors are and where all the ports and the plugs and stuff are. And so if you damage that, <laughs> it's going to cost you a lot <laughs> and it's sort of fragile yeah. on that end. So I think of that L bracket as armor for the bottom and the side of my camera. The other thing I love about L brackets is it gives a little bit of an extension to the grip. So the ones that I get, come out to the the grip side of the camera and they kind of extend the grip so that when I'm holding the camera, my bottom finger or bottom two fingers doesn't fall off the bottom of the grip. So it's also a grip extension, which is really nice. 
makes the camera more ergonomic and more comfortable. So L brackets, super great. We'll put some notes in the show notes about L brackets and give some links in there to some good ones. So people can look. I love that this, this podcast suddenly turned into, all right, we're going to tell you everything about L brackets all the time. Yeah. L brackets are great. L brackets are great. All right. What, is next. Well, let's stick with tripods a little bit since L brackets, okay. you know, loosely related. Everything's loosely related, right? So, sure, sure. Um, I do a lot of photography on beaches. I'm in Oregon and, you know, being in the Northwest, we, we get out to the beach quite often and uh, beaches are sandy places and sand is awful when it comes to tripods. It's really, really hard on tripods. You don't want to get sand in the joints of your legs. So the, the leg segments collapse into each other. And uh, whether you have the, the knob or the little flip levers, if you get sand in that those, those sections, um, you end up with all kinds of grit in there and it can cause real problems with the function of your tripod. You might even be able to lock it down, which yeah. could make it real hard to use. So one of the rules I have is every time I get out of my car and I start heading for the beach before I get onto the sand, I stop and I extend the bottom segment of my legs. <clears throat> so I don't make the whole tripod tall. I just extend that bottom segment. So the tripod gets a foot longer, right? I extend that bottom segment. The reason is every time I get out on the beach and it's time to make a photo, I'm usually carrying the tripod in my hands and I have to put it down to get my camera out. Mm. And if I haven't extended those legs, I'm going to put those legs down in the sand and the bottom joints are going to get right in the sand and that, you know, we're going to have problems. And so before I even head out there, I just mitigate the problem by extending those bottom. That way, when I get to where I'm going, I can set my tripod down. Even if it's wet, sandy, muddy, doesn't matter. Those bottom legs, I can rinse them off later. Got to keep the joints out of the sand. So protect your tripod by thinking ahead and extending those legs anytime you're going near water, sand, mud, anything like that. That is not something that I had thought of before. Well, that's why you keep going through tripods, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, but but we can throw in a little bonus extra here and and point out we can talk about tripods until the sun sets. Mm. Uh, if you're going to buy a tripod, and I think we have mentioned this, if you're going to buy a tripod spend the money to get something that's decent. Otherwise you're going to spend a lot more money going through a bunch of crappy tripods. Absolutely. This I have learned. And yeah, we will do an episode someday on tripods because it's one of the things I could talk about for weeks. It'll be like a 15 minute episode, right? Probably. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What you got? Then? Okay. I want to talk about things that things that you might think are super great little accessories. Everybody seems to have them. Uh, they don't work. Just mm, forget about the them. The crap. The crap. The yep. little things that don't work, right? So my top thing is if you lose your lens cap, it happens. It mm -hmm. stinks. However, lens caps are inexpensive. You can order, you know, a set for the size of your lens in like five or ten different caps. I've I've done that, mm -hmm. and I have just some for each of my lens sizes. And at some point, the manufacturer started putting in these little threads or maybe elastic bands to go with it so that you don't lose your lens cap anymore. You tie that, and then you hook it onto your camera. And it sounds like a great idea because I don't want to lose my lens cap, right? Oh, I hate them. I hate them with a passion. 
I tried it once and I was like, this sounds like mentally, this sounds like a really good practical idea, except every time you take your camera out to shoot, you've got this dangly, dangly, clackety, clackety, heaven forbid you're shooting any video because it's just going to be the mm -hmm. sound of this lens cap bouncing against things. And talk about a distraction that's keeping you away from making photos you know, you're, you're, you're fighting this thing with your hand and it's bouncing against the, the tripod. <laughs> you're, <laughs> you're nodding your head like, oh, yeah. Yeah. Thanks for, thanks for reliving this trauma there, Jeff. No, I've, um, seen, I've seen it so many times. <sighs> yes, this is one of those things. When I see somebody with a leash, we'll call it a lens, lens cap leash, right? Lens cap leash, yeah. When I see one of them with the leash, I, I, I know that that's a person who's just starting out. They just... They just got this stuff because nobody that has a lens cap, cap leash that I know, right? There's going to be somebody out there, but nobody that I yeah, know yeah. and respect is going to keep that on there for very long because like you said, that lens cap's going to dangle around. It's going to clank. It's going to be obnoxious. We mostly wear clothing with pockets. Almost everybody does. And yeah. you take that lens cap off and you put it in your pocket. I'm very – talk about object permanence – I'm very disappointed. I was just going to say that. Front right pocket. That's where the lens cap goes. Front uh, right pocket. No. No, no. Front front left pocket. No, that's the AirPods. AirPods it, are it, front it, left. Oh, Jeff. Well, yeah. Okay. AirPods are front left, and, and, and the lens cap fits in right next to it. Oh, okay. So your phone goes front right. Of course the phone goes front right. Where would you <laughs> <laughs> I always put the lens cap in with the phone because it's not going to scratch the phone. Uh, anyway. Uh <laughs> <laughs> Having right. a place for your lens this cap. This podcast is, is over. over. We're done. We That's it. We can't settle in. <laughs> so, no, you know, no, can, no, I, can I add something to the list of crap that you don't really need? Yes, people, please do, because I'm just to... trying to make stupid jokes here. Yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> we, can, we can do that later. Bubble levels. <laughs> now, oh, bubble levels. every camera I've purchased in the last six or seven years has had an, an excellent electronic level in it. So you turn it on. Usually it shows up on the back LCD screen. You have to kind of click through the different display options. But it'll have a level. It'll show you whether you're tilted or, or panning or, or, or yawing or whatever your axis is. <laughs> it's going to show you all that on your screen. And it's very intuitive. You can adjust your camera until it looks green. Usually it turns red when it's off, off camber. Yeah. Bubble levels uh, oftentimes will go into the hot shoe. These little squares, you see them, and they're great. They, people get them as Christmas gifts a lot. They're on a lot of oh, gift yeah. list guides. Yeah, good stocking um, stuffer. Those are one of those things, too. If I see that on somebody's camera, I'm like, okay, that's a person who's learning photography. I need to be gentle with them. But that bubble level, while it is so, sort of useful, you already have one. So it's highly redundant, and it's in the way it's distracting. So once your camera's level, you can turn that off on your electronic level on your camera. You don't need to keep that bubble level on there. So I would yeah. put bubble level on there. I would agree. And can I mention one of the one other thing that I have no doubt carried in my gear for years and then I lost it at one point and then f did not realize that I had <laughs> lost it because I'd never, ever, ever used it. And that is a lens pen. Oh, lens pens. Now – all credit to the to the lens pen company because I'm sure they've been very successful with this product. Yeah. But it is not a bad idea. It's it's basically like a little stick and it's got a brush on one end and then on the other end it's got kind of a, a semi-moistened 
foam bit <laughs> where you can like get dust off your lens maybe i don't know um <laughs> it's a magic powder jeff it's a carbon based powder it's it's a horrible idea <laughs> it's an awful idea i think lens pens are a cruel joke that somebody started and it turns oh, out wow. they, they could make money with it and they just kept it going and it shows up this time of year, it shows up on all these gift lists, like get them a all lens pen. Lists. And I'm like, God, cause they're cheap. They're like, and they're always on the counter at the camera store. Right. So you're standing there. That's like, uh, they should just put packs of gum there. Cause that's something you actually could use. Instead, people are like, well, you should get one of those lens. <laughs> no, 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 no. Never, never use gum to get <laughs> dust off of your lens. <laughs> Might be better. Might be better. So here's, here's the thing with the lens pen. It has a retractable brush. I would say the brush might be worth having. Yeah. But guess what else has a brush? Um, a, a brush? Brush. Yeah, like a, like a cheap <laughs> paintbrush, right? Um, so get like a, a, a cheap artist paintbrush and chop the handle mm-hmm. off and put that in your cleaning kit yeah. and you just brush off uh, dust and uh, stuff. Uh, Not one on of those sensor. shaving brushes? I've actually well, used a, a shaving yeah. brush. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, it works it, great. Yeah, the, the, the soft, uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you obviously have lots of shaving brushes. I I have one that I've put in on my uh, camera bag somewhere. <laughs> yeah, I have one in my bag too. So the brush is fine on the lens pen. The other end is where I have the trouble. So uh, all of our lenses have optics on the front, and this is what these pens are intended to clean, is the front element of your lens. And that optic, 99% of the time, is a coated optic. It means it's got all kinds of fancy layers of coating that, that the factories put on there to protect from glare and damage and water and all of these good things that, that end up on the front of the lens. So if you want to clean that multi-coated optic, taking a little round disc that has a mystery powder on it and rubbing it around on that is probably not mm. a good idea because if there's any kind of abrasive on that element, you're just going to grind it around. So we have talked about this in our gift guide. You get a rocket blower, you blast off the big pieces, and then you get a a bit of lens cleaner and a nice microfiber cloth. And you moisten that and you do some gentle swipes on there. Don't go scrubbing around. This mystery powder stuff, man, what what it does, and I'll say, I'll be honest here. What it does is it removes fingerprints. It takes oil and the carbon dust gets on the oil and then the the little felt tip picks it up. So Uh, if all you've got on your lens is a bunch of fingerprints, the hell you've been doing, but (laughs) if all you got on your lens, a bunch of fingerprints, the lens pen would be fine. But most of us don't just have that. We have dust and we have sand and grit and stuff like that on there. Well, and, and I will also add, and maybe this is because the one that I have is old, but the little cap Always comes off. Yeah. And so what's the point of having this little soft, moistened bit that you're going to put on your lens that Yours is moist. has <laughs> – I think it was at one point. No. I don't know. What's that supposed to be? I don't know. Okay. Okay. Whatever it is. It's basically – Have you been licking your lens pen? This thing. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Right after I lick my batteries, yeah. I, I lick my lens pen, uh, turn around three times, and yeah. So this this cap has never stayed on. Mm-hmm. So basically, here's this thing that I want to use to clean my lens that has been exposed to who knows what in my bag mm-hmm. or outside of my bag or 
in the corner of my office where it fell out. Uh, yeah, just no. Yeah. No, don't do it. Don't do it. If if you're going to do anything, get a bunch of little lens wipes, even the little packaged ones, mm-hmm. and you'll be fine. You'll be fine. Be fine. Yeah. Check our check our gift guide episode for, for lens cleaning yes. uh, accessories. All okay. Right. Ooh, sounds like we're 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 getting ourselves a little worked up. I What's got next? a little steamed about the lens pen. I guess I don't. I'm not <laughs> sure why I got triggered by that, but I did. I am going to continue to say any episode where you get a little worked up, you get your blood pressure up. Is a good episode. Oh, okay. We'll keep it going then. Uh, okay, I so wanna, what's next? I want to get to another accessory item, and then we'll move off accessories and, and move to settings, I think, for cameras. But both of us use Peak Design straps on our cameras. They yeah. make – a lot of people do. It's not just the two of us, right? Uh, Peak Design <laughs> is a great little company out of San Francisco, and they invented these uh, straps. It was one of the first products they actually had. And the key to their system is these anchor links which are just a plastic puck on a loop of really strong cord. And the cord is meant to connect to the eyelets on your camera. And then the puck goes into a snappy little holder at the ends of their camera strap. And so whether you're using a wrist strap or a shoulder strap uh, or a sling strap, these click on. And then when you don't want to have a strap on your camera, you just it's simple as just pushing them in and they pop right out. And they're very secure. It's a brilliant design. And Peak Design deserves a lot of credit for coming up with something really clever. The, the problem is, and I see this all the time, people have a hard time getting the cord loops through the little lug eyelets on the sides of their cameras. And I actually did a mm-hmm. video about this several years ago because I was going out on workshops and people would be like, oh, I got this Peak Design anchor system, but they they had looped the loops through the split rings that are on the eye lugs on your camera. And so you'd have this little eye lug and then you'd have a triangular shaped or round little ring, little split ring, mm-hmm. and then you'd have this loop of cord. And so you get this kind of convoluted chain of of materials between your camera and your in your strap. And you want to keep things simple. So I think that the cord loop needs to go through the white the the white the metal lug and not the little wire split ring. Hopefully you're uh, following me. So I'll put I'm a link you. to the video in the show notes. But the cord does not want to go through those little eye lugs. It's, it's, no, it does it, not. Those are I tight. I fought this in the past. Yes. Yeah, and people get really frustrated. They're like, I give up. I'm going to use the split ring. So here's a couple of tips, pro tips. On my Sony cameras, the cord will fit if I run a length of dental floss. I was going to say fishing line, but that's too stretchy. Dental floss. So you take oh. some dental floss, get a good length of dental floss. Unused would help. And oh. <laughs> then you, you run it through the loop and then you feed the dental floss. You, you, you thread it through the eyelet and then you pull. You have to pull pretty hard, but you have to pull that loop through and it'll go. Now, the Fuji cameras are different. The Fuji cameras actually have a little metal sleeve inside those eyelet lugs, and they're too small for the loop to go through. But if you get a, I used a bamboo skewer, I'm almost embarrassed to say this, but you could Uh use any small tool that will fit in there and you kind of push hard on them and those little sleeves will pop through. You can drive them out and then just put them in your camera box, save them, you know, don't throw them away. And then the eyelet's bigger now, and it's it's fine. So for some reason, Fuji's ah. put those little inserts in there. I'm not sure why. So when I had my XC4, I was like, this won't work. My trigger doesn't work. But that little, I looked in there, and there's a little metal sleeve. So I popped it out, and now it's fine. So 
the anchor system is great, but having it be more simple is better and having less jangly, noisy parts is always, always a good thing. Yeah, definitely. Speaking of, this is actually not on our list, but this is something that I remember you told me about years ago. Speaking of anchors and things, having some way to connect your camera to your tripod mm -hmm. as you're working so that, and I'm sure this has never happened. <laughs> it's happened a lot. Yeah. Actually, not to me. Oh, it, no, it's probably happened to it's me. It's happened to uh, me. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're setting things on your tripod and it doesn't get locked or it wasn't tightened down or you just fumble and your camera plunges to the ground and then you have a broken camera when what should have happened is you just have something tied to one of your little uh, anchor points or something mm -hmm. that's also attached to the camera. Uh, sorry, that's also attached to the tripod. So that if it falls, it's just going to fall and dangle from the tripod yeah. and not destroy your camera. Yeah, it's a safety tether. And, you know, I put these on all my tripods. And I actually, with one of my newer tripods, what I did was I used uh, a Peak Design wrist strap. And I just put it around the base of the tripod head. And then it had mm -hmm. the little anchor attachment point hanging there. And I could reach up and just lock that anchor point in because I don't leave my straps on my cameras all the time. The only time I ever put a strap on my camera is if it's going to be on my body. And then the second it goes back in the bag, that strap comes off and gets rolled up and put put in its place. Object permanence, right? It's always in its, its spot. Yeah. So yeah. a great tip because I have actually had many uh, tripod mounts right with the part that clamps onto the plate that's on your camera the l brackets mm -hmm. on your camera i've had them where i didn't tighten them down or i latched them all the way but my camera actually wasn't seated in them all the way and i thought it was it's dark or whatever and then i go to move and the camera's like you know swinging off of there so having that little tether there does it in getting in the habit of tethering it on it's just, just nice peace of mind a lot of us when we're moving about taking photos, we'll leave our camera on our tripod and kind of put it up over our shoulder and walk yeah. along. I don't feel really comfortable doing that unless my camera's tethered to the tripod because it could fall off the head. Yeah, it happens. Yeah. Well, and it could fall off the head and you might not know it. Yeah. And then you you get to your new spot and, oh, there's no camera here. Yeah, where did my yeah. camera go? Yeah, exactly. I want to ask you about something that, that you put on the list because mm -hmm. this is something I've never done. Maybe I should back button focusing. Okay. Yeah. I, I hear people talk about this all the time. I was even with another photographer and she asked me to take a picture of her with her camera. Mm -hmm. And it was, you know, a Canon DSLR. This was years ago. And I'm like, why is the focus not working? And she's like, well, it's, it's the, the back button. I was like, what? So <laughs> this is not something I've ever done because I've been perfectly fine just doing the half press on the shutter to focus. What is it? Why? And why? <laughs> why? What, why would you make life more complicated? So, a lot, I'll, I will admit a lot of these tips are about making things simpler, right? So oh, why would yeah. you take a job that one button is doing and split that job up? So when we push our shutter button down halfway on our camera, we do an exposure reading. Right. The, the camera reads the light and gives us our histogram. Or maybe if we set in an autonomous or semi-autonomous mode, it's going to set the settings based on the light that's coming in to the meter. It also in default settings on most cameras is going to trigger the autofocus function. Mm -hmm. Our cameras now, especially modern 
cameras made in the last few years have very, very complicated autofocus systems. Probably the most complicated part of the whole camera. Separating that from the shutter is a good idea because it allows you to trigger autofocus before you take the photo. So if it's a fast moving subject or something you want to make sure is locked in before you take the photo, um, especially if it's time sensitive, right? People photos are this way. I really like having a back button assigned to focus. So I can just, as I'm gripping the camera, my thumb goes to that button and my finger's ready to take the picture once things are the way I want them to be. So I'm looking at composition, I'm looking at focus, I'm looking at exposure, all of these things at once. So for me, it's not something I think about. My thumb just goes to that button. I actually have two different buttons assigned to back button focusing on my camera to make things even more complicated. (laughs) The joystick that controls where the focus point is, Mm -hmm. if I've got that mode set, it can be pushed as a button. So it can be moved and also be pushed. So I actually have that set to be back button focusing. And I can also control where that point is all without moving my thumb. Now, if I'm taking a photo of some of a person or an animal that has a face, mm-hmm. I can switch to IAF. And I have a button just above that. All I have to do is just jump my finger up, one, my thumb up one button, and I push that one and it triggers eye autofocus. It starts looking for a face. Okay. So I can jump back and forth. Now, here's where it gets fun. If you are shooting something that's dynamic, like a portrait of a person or an animal or a sports events or something like that, being able to keep focus running all the time is going to give you more good photos. Then if you've got your finger on the shutter button, you can always depress it halfway and, and track that way too. It does work. There's nothing wrong with it. But I find by separating those out that it, it gives me more control and it gives me more of a sense of um, kind of pre-focusing, kind of, kind of you know, getting ahead of the game, if you will, yeah. with the back button. Now, that all said... My camera, my Sony camera, almost all of the new lenses from Sony have these cool programmable buttons on the barrel of the lens. And I have set all my lenses up now so that those buttons are are focus. So if I don't want to use my thumb, maybe my thumb's tired, I don't know why. If I have my hand under the lens, I can just reach up with a finger and tap that button and it triggers the autofocus. It's really pretty brilliant. And so I have lots of different choices. Sometimes I use them both. They both work at the same time. So I'll have my thumb on autofocus and then I'll tap that just to make sure it's focusing. Like if I'm shooting my kids playing soccer, I use that a lot. Back and forth, back and forth with the different focus uh, settings. Now, hopefully that made sense. We could probably do a whole episode sometime on back button focusing. But I think a lot of people like to separate the focusing from the picture taking. I'll wrap up by saying this because I probably said too much. (laughs) <laughs> when you separate those, uh, once your object's in focus, let's say you're shooting a landscape, you don't want that focus to change when you go to take the picture. So when yeah. you're setting up a landscape photo, what I'll do a lot of times, I'll set my autofocus on a fine point that I can move with that joystick and I'll put it on the object that I want to focus on. I'll hit back button focusing, focus on it, and then I can go trigger the photo and it's not going to recenter. It's not going to try to find something else to focus on. It's already set and locked in. Hopefully. Okay. Did I convince you? That sounds you? good. No, no. But <laughs> well, on my on my Fuji, I actually I have assigned uh, the, there's a front button by the grip that's just you know can be anything, mm-hmm. and I've set that to turn off the uh, face detection to turn that on and off. So oh, okay, so cool. I'm I'm sort of 
doing uh, like one aspect of that, and I didn't even realize it. So, yeah, these um, these cameras are so customizable. I would never mm-hmm. fault anyone for not using back button focusing because it very much is a style thing. I wouldn't say it's yeah. Like I, I look at you, <laughs> Jeff. Like someday you'll learn, right? It's it's just it's something I've done. In fact, I had back button focusing on my first true professional camera, which is a Canon EOS one, which is right up there on that shelf right there. Uh Um, that Canon EOS one had a back button focusing and it was awesome because that's just, I trained myself to do that. And so now it's it's second nature to me, but if you use your shutter button for focus, it works great too. The autofocus systems on these cameras is incredible. Yeah. Yeah. So this actually brings me to my next thing, which is a, a focus related topic. Mm. Uh, but this is, this is when we're shooting with an iPhone. Oh yeah. Yeah. This is a thing that I thought everybody knew because it's literally been there since the very first iPhone. And I showed it to somebody recently and they were blown away. Like, what, what did you do? How do you do that? I was like, Oh, it's, it's this thing. And then I went and I asked a few more people and they had no idea this even existed. And here's the thing. When you're shooting, you know that you can tap the screen on your iPhone and say, I want to focus on this, le- this area. And you know, that, that helps you figure out maybe foreground, background, rather than letting the camera f- figure it out. If you tap and hold, so you press okay. and hold. Going to try it here. Okay. <laughs> if you okay. press and hold, that will lock oh. the focus yeah. and lock the exposure. It does. So – and it lights up at the top. It says AEAF lock. So there's a little yep, yellow A-E-A-F box there. AF lock. Yeah. So then you can move your camera around. You can recompose if you want oh. and still have that one thing in focus and have your exposure set so that the camera's not trying to recompensate for, let's say, something brighter in the background that you want, but you don't want your whole image to be darkened to to compensate. So this is a way to, to achieve sort of a manual control over your iPhone's exposure and focus. Kind of, yeah. 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 A little cool. bit. Um, and it, for people who don't know it, you can also tap anywhere and there's a little sun icon that shows up next to your little uh, focus box and you can drag that up or down to manually change the exposure. It's like oh, having no way, an exposure really? adjustment dial. Okay, I'm going to do that. Again. So you tap on something, something is is too bright. Your scene is too oh, bright. You what? can just drag. You can just drag down. Did I just teach you something? Yeah. I feel awesome. Like, no, I feel dumb. You, you can just drag down to change the exposure <laughs> and then uh, press and hold. And then you've locked your exposure. You lock, locked your focus. And then you can move around and take your picture without those things automatically kicking in because – Normally, the iPhone wants to do everything automatically as much yeah. as possible, and this is a way to override that just a little bit. Boom. I think I, this is a game. No. Oh, I can't say it. I can't say it. But okay, yeah. That is a great tip because I've been using iPhones to take photos for since iPhone 1. Yeah. And I knew, I knew about the AEAF lock. I do use that occasionally, but I had no idea that you could – after you activate that, that you could slide up and down to trigger – and override. So it's an exposure compensation button. Yeah, it totally is. I'm so unreasonably proud right now for <laughs> teaching you this. Thank you, Jim. Thank uh, you. All right. Uh, that is uh, awesome. I think we're 
I, I think we're getting to the end of our list. Yeah, I want, I want to just throw a couple more sort of computational ones in there. These are things that your camera is doing inside that it's good to know about and good to, good to okay. think about when you're taking photos. One is that every camera has what's called a base ISO. Now, ISO is the sensitivity of the sensor and it's adjustable, right? So mm-hmm. most of our cameras will start at 50 or 100 ISO and go up to some absurd, you know, 102,000 or whatever. Your camera, when it was designed, this, the engineers who designed the sensor optimized it to work best at, at a, what they call a base ISO. And in my cameras, the Sony's, it's a hundred. So it gives you the best image quality, the deepest amount of data at 100 ISO. So broadest dynamic range, all of that good stuff, the good stuff that we look for when we're taking really nice photos. So knowing what your base ISO is, is really helpful because um, sometimes, especially if you're shooting landscapes or something and you're on a tripod and you have some latitude for choices, you can lock your ISO down at the base ISO and then flex your shutter speed and aperture to get the look you want. And you're going to get the best image quality possible using that base ISO. And that's one of those things that, you know, it's it's out there. I mean, information's out there, but you're not going to see it in a manual. You know, I can't find anywhere in my Sony manual that says, set your camera at 100 ISO for the best quality images. It's just considered sort of secret, I guess. Now, all this said, there's even some people out there who do a lot of astrophotography and kind of really severe low light photography. They'll say that there's a second base ISO at a higher level. So my Sony a7R4 has really good image quality at 100, and then you can see a curve. It kind of drops, and then it does pretty good with dynamic range and stuff around 200 to 320, and then it drops again. And then it comes back up and has good dynamic range at 1600 ISO. And so there's certain ISOs that are better than others, and getting to know that. There's people that have plotted these out on graphs, and they've done lots of test shots. Getting to know that information gives you just a little bit better image quality and that can make a big difference, especially if you start getting into really uh, pixel peeping and making big prints and things like that. I didn't know about the the secondary uh, preferred ISO. Yeah, so that's good. Yeah, that's something that I'm just, just, something, just starting to learn about. So. Is, is that just something that that you have to investigate online? It's not going to be in your manual or no. anything, is it? No. no, and it's it's stuff that you really got to get into the weeds to to get to this stuff. But there are. Lots of YouTube videos out there by astrophotographers. This is a pretty big mm. deal if you're doing low light photography, like the stuff we were doing up at the Bristlecone Pines, right? Yeah. Like trying to get the best quality image possible, you know, but we still have to bring that ISO up to get the, sh- to get the stars. Um, right. Knowing what ISO works best in those situations for noise and for dynamic range does make a big difference. So one of the things that I like to do is, especially when I'm shooting landscape, is to have a little wired or wireless remote. Uh, mm. Sometimes I forget about that. Yep. So I'm going to do this this really complicated workaround, which is uh, use the little shutter timer in your camera mm-hmm. instead of the, of the remote. You don't want to sit there for t- 10 seconds. A lot of us know that there's a timer in our camera, yeah. and it's a little clock thing, right? And you, you select that, and you, what you don't always know is that there's multiple choices <laughs> under that timer. Yeah. There's a 10-second timer, and then there's a, usually a two-second timer. And the two-second timer is the one you want to use. So you're not standing there for 10, 10, 10, 10, 10, 10 seconds <laughs> waiting for your camera to take the picture. The 10-second timer is so you can go get in the picture. The two-second timer right. is so you can take that photo without moving your camera, bumping your camera if you're doing a long exposure. So, yeah, that's a great replacement. I have a remote that I have a love-hate relationship with with my camera. It's a Bluetooth remote, <laughs> and it works 
75% of the time. And it seems like that 25% it doesn't want to work is when I really need it. And so I will often just switch over to two second timer and just hit it, keep my hands off, take the picture, hit it, take that. That's what I'm doing out there when you see that, Jeff, when when I get my hands back. I actually do that. It's like, hands are off. And it's, you were wondering what's going on. Like, I just thought you were, you know, just so happy with your pictures. You're like, oh, yay, I'm going to put my hands in the air. (laughs) Jazz hands. Jazz hands. hands. This is such a good shot. I love this shot. (laughs) I'm just, I'm going to do a little dance. I'm going to compose a number. It's going to be great. This is the one. It's the one. Have we photocombobulated this? Have Almost we I anything? Got one more. Oh, oh, oh. I'm going to give a bonus. Oh, a this bonus. Is something, oh, this is something I on, found everybody. recently on a camera that I was using. My Sony cameras, I kind of figured out all the menus years ago and I dove through every little item. And, and that's a good Which thing. Which is to no do. mean feat. It's no mean feat. It takes like four or five weeks. You got to get a supply of food in. You got to, you know, <laughs> got to schedule some time for that. The uh, Sony menu system. The Sony menu just... system is crazy deep. Now, it is a good tip. I would say it's a good tip to get to know your menu system, but that's a whole other, whole other episode. Definitely. In most cameras, when you get to the part where it talks about the EVF, which is the electronic viewfinder that you look into, or the LCD, which is the screen on the back of the camera, there are ways to set the brightness and contrast of those screens. And what I saw, and I think it was a Fuji camera that I was playing with, it might have been the XE4, it actually had a standard quality and a high quality setting for both the EVF and the LCD. Now, I'm assuming it has to do with battery use. You know, it takes a lot of power, these, mm-hmm. these devices. And so if you wanted to conserve battery life, you could use standard and it's going to give you an okay quality view. But you turn it on to high quality and then now you can see everything you're doing. You can see, you know, all the right. the fine tones and all of that good stuff that you need to make a good photo. And so I always try to go in and make sure I'm setting all my stuff on the highest quality that I can get. But also brightness. We talked about this with the eye doctor. You know, it's hard, especially if you wear glasses, to sometimes see what's going on with your, your screens. We're fighting glasses. We're fighting our bad eyesight. Mm-hmm. If you can turn the brightness up on your screen so that it's more vivid and more contrasty, that can oftentimes help get you, you know, make sure you're getting a good shot. Uh, yeah. That said, you know, always watch the histogram so you don't overdo your photo, right? You're adjusting the brightness so you can see it better, not it. Not to change the exposure of your photo. So exactly, yeah, and I think the the quality that refers to the the refresh rate usually. Yeah, refresh so, rate. And I think also the um, it might actually affect the resolution. I'm not sure. It might affect oh, okay. the resolution of the screen too. Yeah, but that'll be in your menu, or not in your menu, in your manual. In your manual, <laughs> actually, have always. That. That's one thing that would be in the manual. Yeah. Yeah. Always read the manual. Even if you don't want to read the whole thing, skim it. Know, know some things about it. You'll learn something. I oh. just thought of another tip. Oh, no. You can, uh, you can get the manuals now in PDF form and put them on your phone. So your manual's always with you. Whoa. Did I just blow your mind? No, I already knew that, but cool. <laughs> I was trying to find one to give back to you. No, 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 no. That's uh, that. That's so important because yes, I carried my stupid little Nikon D80 manual in my bag for who knows how long. I did not put in all the Spanish tra- and 
Japanese All translations. Books, yeah. I, I think I actually like like ripped out the just the English version of that. Uh, until I realized that all the manuals are online. I haven't looked at a paper manual for years because I have I have a little Dropbox folder and it's just camera manuals. And that's where I have all the things and I know exactly where to get it. I noticed when I downloaded the manuals for my last camera purchase that there was also a quick start guide. That was a PDF of it. It's sort of the, the kind of the, the big things that you need to know. And so if I really wanted to drill down, I had the manual, but then if I just a quick look up on something, there was a quick start guide. I noticed on the Fuji camera I bought a while back, the XC4, that there was actually a little bit of a manual built into the camera. I'm surprised that more Cami manufacturers aren't including this information in the software of the camera, but huh. sometimes there'll be a little question mark or help button somewhere mm, yeah. in that menu system that you can access some data, but having the manual on your phone is just a great tip. Having the quick start guide or quick reference guide on the phone is a great tip. You can get these manuals before the cameras come out. So I've ordered the Sony a7 IV. So I have the a7R4. I've ordered the a7 IV, which is coming who knows when with this. It's probably on a ship sitting off of LA <laughs> yeah. right now. It's coming at some point. I can download the manual now and get to know that camera before it's in my hands. And so I'm going to do that. And it's a great thing to have. So I can, if I'm trying to fall asleep at night, I can thumb through the manual of a camera I don't have nerd. yet. Nerd. 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 But, but, but I say that in the best possible, like camera nerd camera. affection kind of way. Always read the manual. A-B-R-M. Always be reading manuals. That's my tip. That, that's going to catch on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Jeff. I think we definitely photocombobulated this episode. And again, hopefully these are like nice practical things. And we'll have to figure out how to make A-B-R-M into the the <laughs> YouTube 10 A-B-R-M <laughs> that you can't live without. If you A-B-R-M, it's a game changer. <laughs> oh. oh, I snuck it we'll in. You snuck it in, and that is the end of this episode. That's right, folks. <laughs> we appreciate you listening. This is our 10th episode. I'm really happy that we reached the 10 milestone. I think that puts us in the top 5% of podcasts um, globally. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Most podcasts yeah. don't make it this far. <laughs> kept in. So if you would like to see the show notes for this episode, go to photocombobulate.com. You can also find all of our past episodes there and other links and fun stuff about Jeff and I. You can also follow us on social media. But the place that I'd really like you to spend some time is in your favorite podcast app, rating and reviewing this podcast so that other people can discover us and learn about these helpful tips that make photography more satisfying. Everything he said <laughs> and more. <laughs> I think we're good. Thanks, everybody. Take care.